As Jesus rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Let's pray. Our Father, have mercy on us and guide our hearing of your word this morning. Enlighten us by your spirit that we would see the depths of your great love enacted for us in the coming of your Son and our King, Jesus Christ, as he enters into Jerusalem on a colt. Lord, we are in your strong hands. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. First slide, Anita. This morning Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a colt, that's pretty self-evident, but as he does so, he actually fulfils the words of the prophet Zechariah who prophesied saying, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion, shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Beautiful words of the prophet. Now last week we looked at Isaiah chapter 43. We looked and talked about God doing a new thing And we heard how the Lord works to redeem and rescue his people and so like he rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, so he would deliver his people from captivity in Babylon and provide for their return home. And we said that God doesn't just open doors for people to walk through lest they fall into another pit, but he opens doors and he travels with them, his presence is with them and he wants to uh, nurture them and feed them with every bit of physical and spiritual nourishment uh, that he has. Now, the people of God had amazing and quite big expectations of how that might look and how that might work out for them. And because by the time Zechariah was prophesying, God had done this new thing that we talked about last week. He'd done it. He delivered his people out of the hands of Babylon and he brought them home. But after about 20 years or so, give or take, the people were actually dogged by discouragement. They're dogged by discouragement only, uh, after only 20 years. How is that possible after such a huge act of deliverance? Well, we do that even now, don't we? We look back and we talk about the church 20 years ago and uh, different things that were going on. We've had those conversations together. The people were actually saying in Zechariah's day, ours is a day of small things. Ours is a day of small things. Sounds like they're a bit depressed too, doesn't it, when you're actually saying that. Ours is a day of small things. Yet meanwhile, while they're saying this, God is at work in such a powerful way in the background. There's this whole story going on showing how God is at work in people's lives and he's getting the temple rebuilt in the face of massive opposition. You can read that also in the book of Haggai. He's moving nations, he's moving rulers and he's moving his own prophets, his own prophets to speak to his people, to assure them of his power at work behind the scenes to assure them that his presence is with them, that his spirit is with them and so that they go with confidence. Meanwhile, folks in their lounge rooms are lamenting, ours is a day of small things. 
They won't see God at work unless he's doing what they want, unless he's meeting all their expectations. And it's a worry. It fits a little bit with a card. Um, is Anna here this morning or not? Anna gave me uh, some cards at Peace College the other day and uh, one of them said, if God is your co-pilot, swap seats. If God is your co-pilot, swap seats. If he's not doing what you expect, maybe that's okay. Talking about swapping seats, did anyone see the uh, media go into an absolute frenzy on Thursday? Did you see that? Yeah? Next slide. There he is. Maybe they thought, the people thought, the media certainly thought they had a prophet in uh, Simon Crean on Thursday who said or was saying words to the effect, I'm going to be the Deputy Prime Minister and I call on Kevin Rudd to step up to the leadership role. That's what he said. Julia's going to be out, Kevin's going to be in and guess what, we're expecting this big revival of popularity and, uh, and support from the public. I watched it. What was Friday like for those people? It wasn't a good day, was it? It wasn't a good day on Friday. Were they saying, whoa, ours is a day of small things? Is that what they were saying? That didn't work out how we expected. Whoa, we had visions of glory, but uh, the newspapers are telling a very different story. There was one that had a very clever headline that said, uh, a rudderless coup. (laughs) Isn't it odd, or do you find it odd, that people were pinning their hopes on Kevin Rudd as the Messiah of their cause, as the Messiah of their cause, and when he didn't nominate, do you know what happened? They turned on him. They called him a chicken. They dished out verbal abuse through social media and the internet. It's everywhere, awful things. And friends, that's how we really are. That's how we really are. That's how the flesh reacts when it doesn't get its own way. Next slide, Anita. When Jesus rides into Jerusalem today, he had no false expectations of what was to come and what was going to happen. He exercises his kingly authority in arranging the cult, sending his disciples, even with a prepared response uh, of a question yet unasked of the owners of that cult. He mounts the cult. He receives the praise and acclamation that is fitting and right for the anointed one the Messiah, the King, the Son of God. He accepts that because it's right, who comes in peace and for peace. And as the crowd who was made up of pilgrims uh, who have come to celebrate Passover, disciples, Pharisees and probably not a few folk from Jerusalem as well, as they sing and bless him, Jesus has absolutely no false expectations as to why they are so excited and what kind of expectations are filling their minds of what he's come to do and what he's about to do. In fact, in Luke's Gospel, right before Jesus enters Jerusalem, Jesus tells the parable of the ten minas. And he does this because he knows, and it says in verse 11 of, of Luke chapter 19, that the people were expecting the kingdom of God to appear immediately and with powerful might. And so that expectation had the people worked up, it had them excited The people expected that Jesus as the Messiah would be a political and military Messiah, that he would call 
a leadership spill like we saw last Thursday, a leadership spill that he would overthrow Caesar, overthrow Rome and as the king of Israel in an earthly and political and military way save the people of Jerusalem by force. At least that's what the people expected. That's what they wanted, a show of strength. And having seen Jesus perform these wonderful miracles and just recently he'd raised Lazarus from the dead, their own hopes and expectations, they welled up within their hearts. They couldn't keep quiet about it. This has been building throughout Jesus' ministry. In fact, you recall the response of the crowds in, uh, in uh, Matthew's Gospel or in the Gospel when Jesus fed 5,000. Actually, John's Gospel says it. Perceiving then that they, the crowd, were about to come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again. This has been going on. They want to grab him. They want to take him by force. They want to make him king. There's this excitement building in their hearts and they think he's the man for the job, for the leadership spill. So you can imagine the kind of build-up and anticipation going on in the hearts of the crowds as they shout and bless and cry, Hosanna, save us now. They're excited. Finally, something's going to happen. We've waited ages. Finally, Jesus is going to do for us what we want. Finally, Caesar will fall and we're going to triumph over Rome. Finally, everything's going to be restored just how we always pictured it. Can you imagine the anger when they don't get what they want? For you who've got children or had children, how does a child respond when they don't get their own way, when they don't get what they want? Yeah, a few smiles. Not you, girl. Do they shout? Yeah? Do they cross their arms? Do they give you a sour face? If you were here on uh, Wednesday night, Pastor Noel had a picture up of sour grapes. On the screen, it was quite funny with the sour, sour looks. I get those looks at home all the time. Folded arms. No, I want it. That's when we're little. What about when we grow up? Does it get better? Or does it just change and develop? Yeah, a few smiles. The shouting takes on words, actually, as we get older. And those words have the precision of a guided missile that can take someone out from the comfort of the couch. And the silence of built-up anger can be absolutely deafening. If you're standing side by side doing the dishes or looking at each other across the dinner table or regardless, it can be deafening. That's how we respond to each other. And that's also how we respond to God when he doesn't do what we want. The fist comes out and the missiles are launched towards heaven. Why are you doing this to me? If you loved me, you would help me out of this mess. Seems like you don't love me because you're not helping me out of this mess. Would you give me justice for the hurt I'm going through? Take away this pain. God, why won't you punish those people who are hurting our family? Why won't you do something? 
Save us, God, but for heaven's sake, do it our way. Do it in our timing. Do it the way we want you to. Behold your king today who comes to you and weeps. And it's not just a trickle down his cheek. Jesus openly sobs over Jerusalem and a world whose cheers and shouts of blessing will turn to anger. Hosanna will turn to crucify him, crucify him, release to us Barabbas, but kill the Son of God, please. It's not doing what we want. And so Jesus comes and he sobs over his people who talk as though ours is a day of small things. As if, God, you're absent from us. You don't care about us. You're not doing anything here. Who are blind to the ministry of God, to divine service, unless it ticks all their boxes. He sobs for those who live for everything that the world has to offer, as if that was their God and their Saviour. People in Zechariah's day pursued a good life, but that also happened It happens in every time, doesn't it? He sobs because he came to his own and his own would not receive him. He sobs over all the false expectations of the people because he knows that a war horse isn't the answer that you need and that a missile launch won't satisfy the bloodlust of the human heart. Everything isn't going to be okay. The Son of God knows that he's going to take full responsibility for all the jostling, for all the screaming, for all the anger and disappointment that wells up in you, that in his body he's going to wear all the fist shaking that you cast his way, that every heaven-bound missile that's been fired from your mouth is going to detonate on his body on the cross. He knows that. He sees you and he hears the cry of your heart when you don't get what you want. He hears your anger directed at him when you're hurting and you're frustrated and your expectations aren't met. He sees it all and he says, I'll ride into Jerusalem on a colt, on the foal of a donkey and my brother, my friend, my child, I will bear responsibility for all of it today on my body. I'll do that. Only by grace, only by grace, does the Father send the Son into such a hostile crowd not to harm you but with a message of peace to save you only by grace. And so ours is not a day of small things. Ours is not a day of small things. God is moving in our midst by His Spirit. But Jesus has more for you, so much more for you than any act of instant gratification or a temporary victory that we might cry out for against somebody else or someone that's hurt us or against God. With Jesus comes a new and spiritual kingdom of eternal grace. That's what he brings. Your king comes to bring spiritual rebirth to you through his death and resurrection and his ascension to the right hand of God, to the place of power where he pours out his spirit upon us. And you know in John's Gospel of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, he says this, his disciples did not understand these things at first. They didn't understand what was going on when he came into Jerusalem. 
They didn't understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. That is to say, after Jesus was raised from death, the Spirit was poured out, the Spirit of truth who teaches and guides you and the disciples of past and the disciples of the future in all truth that brings the Scriptures to your remembrance and gives light to shine upon your heart to see and grasp and comprehend what the Lord is saying to you and what the Lord is doing for you and in your life. This is the spirit that you have received by the grace of God who gives you faith to see that in the midst of your own struggles and I know there are many, there are many struggles. He gives you faith to see in the midst of your own struggles and your own waiting of world wars, of missile tests. See how far we can reach with these things of violence and TV news that honestly just makes you want to put your head in your hands and sob. That your king reigns. That Jesus Christ is Lord despite what human eyes may see. God reigns. That you have been crucified with Jesus Christ You've also been raised with him to newness of life, seated with him and freed to live in his kingdom of grace forever. And even though the pews here at our church aren't overflowing as we think they should be or might expect them to be, even though we weep, even though you hurt, even though you face trials this side of glory, our day is not a day of small things God doesn't waste a thing and he hasn't abandoned you. He is present with you. He's here to fill you and lavish you with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. By faith, the Lord is at work calling the nations. He's bestowing eternal life upon all who call on his name in repentance and faith. That hasn't stopped. He's present wherever his people gather to bless and to fill and to give strength. And today is at work in your heart. He's present for you and with you in your life, in the lives of those who you love and yearn for. But you know what? He's also present for those who you find it really hard to love and hard and difficult to yearn for. Brothers and sisters in Christ, behold your King comes to you today full of grace and truth. He is the Son of God, He is the Son of Man and He's come to reconcile you to your Father and lavish you with every spiritual gift in Christ Jesus. May God bless and fill you today with his comfort and his peace, no matter what's going on around you and in your circumstances. Amen. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, guard your hearts and keep you safe in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you so much that as we come and we walk through the doors of the church this morning, so many things are going on in our lives that perhaps we don't know about each other, but you know, that you see, you see our hurt, you see our tears, you see and hear our crying out to you, you see our frustrations, you see our expectations. Sometimes you even see our hostility and yet you come to us in peace and you love us with your holy love. You proclaim the gospel of peace and good news to us. Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a colt this morning. We thank you for his weeping, for his tears for us. But most of all, we thank you that he went to the cross for us that he died our death and he was raised for our justification. So we pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us all wherever there is that yearning, that pain, the hurt, the frustration, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and bring to us your peace which surpasses all human understanding, which surpasses all human knowledge that we might find rest for our souls in you and praise your holy name. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.